Microsoft Story Classic, bringing to you recordings of old storybooks. Sir Gibby, Episode 12, Glashgar Up and up the hill went Gibby. The path ceased altogether, but went up is the word in one's mind, and Up had grown almost a fixed idea with Gibby. He can seldom be in doubt whether he is going right, even where there is no track. Indeed, in all more arduous ways, men leave no track behind them, no finger post. There is always but the steepness. He climbed and climbed. The mountain grew steeper and barer as he went, and he became absorbed in his climbing. All at once he discovered that he had lost the stream, where or when he could not tell. All below and around him was red granite rock, scattered over with the chips and splinters, detached by air and wind, water and stream, light and heat and cold. Glashgar was only about three thousand feet in height, but it was the steepest of its group a huge rock that even in the midst of masses suggested solidity. Not once while he ascended had the idea come to him that by and by he could be able to climb no farther. For aught he knew, there were oatcakes and milk and sheep and collie dogs ever higher and higher still. Not until he actually stood upon the peak did he know that there was the earthly hitherto. The final obstacle of unobstancy. The sun was about two hours towards the west when Gibby, his little legs almost as active as ever, surmounted the final slope. Running up like a child that would scale heaven, he stood on the bare round, the head of the mountain, and saw with an invading shock of amazement, and at first of disappointment, that there was no going higher. In every direction the slope was downward. He had never been on the top of anything before. He had always been in the hollows of things. Now the whole world lay beneath him. It was cold in some of the shadows. Lay snow, weary exile from both the sky and the sea and the ways of them. Captive in the fetters of the cold. Prisoner to the mountain top, but Gibby felt no cold. In a glow with the climb, which at the last had been hard, his lungs filled with the heavenly air, and his soul with the feeling uplifted on the very crown of the earth, he stood in his rags, a fluttering scarecrow, the conqueror of height, the discoverer of immensity. Gibby had never even heard the word poetry, but nonetheless was he the very stuff out of which poems grow. And now all the latent poetry in him was set a-swaying and heaving, an ocean inarticulate because unobstructed, a might that could make no music, no thunder of waves, because it had no shore, no rocks of thought against which to break in speech. He sat down on the topmost point, and slowly, in the silence and the loneliness, from the unknown fountains of consciousness, the heart of the child filled. Above him towered infinite, infinitude, immensity, potent on his mind, through shape to his eye in a soaring dome of blue. The sun 
beginning to cast shadows to the south and east from the endless heaps of the world that lifted themselves in all directions. Down their sides ran the streams, down busily hasting away through every valley to the dar, which bore them back to the ocean heart through woods and meadows, park and waste, rocks and willowy marsh. Behind the valleys rose mountains, and behind the mountains, other mountains, more and more, each swathed in its own mystery, and beyond all hung the curtain depth of the sky gulf. Gibby sat and gazed, and dreamed and gazed. The mighty city that had been to him the universe was dropped and lost, like a thing that was now nobody's in far indistinguishable distance and he who had lost it had climbed upon the throne of the world there was still when a breath awoke it but touched his cheek like the down of a feather and the stillness was there again the stillness grew great and slowly descended upon him it deepened and deepened surely it would deepen to a voice who was about to speak it was as if a great single thought was the substance of the silence and was all over and around him and closer to him than his clothes than his body than his hands an experience had come to the child a link in the chain of his development glided over the wind last of his uplifting a change passed upon him in after years when gibbie had the idea of god when he had learned to think about him to desire his presence to believe that a will of love enveloped his will as the brooding hen spreads her wings over her eggs as often as the thought of god came to him it came in the shape of the silence on the top of Glashgar. As he sat with his eyes on the peak he had just chosen from the rest as the loveliest of all within his sight, he saw a cloud begin to grow upon it. The cloud grew and gathered and descended, covered its sides as it went until the hole was hidden. Then swiftly as he gazed, the cloud opened as it were a round window in the heart of it, and through that he saw the peak again. The next moment a flash of blue lightning darted across the opening, and whether Gibbie really saw what follows, he never could be sure. But always after, as often as the vision returned in the flash, he saw a rock rolling down the peak. The clouds swept together, and the window closed. The next thing which in after years he remembered was that the earth mountains, meadows, and streams had vanished. Everything was gone from his sight, except a few yards around him of the rock upon which he sat, and the cloud that hid world and heaven. Then again burst forth the lightning. He saw no flash, but an intense cloud illumination, accompanied by the deafening crack, and followed by the appalling roar and roll of the thunder. Nor was it noise alone that surrounded him, for as if he were in the heart and nest of the storm, the very wind waves that made the thunder rushed in, driven, bellowing over him, and had nearly swept him away. He clung to the rock with hands and feet. The cloud wreathed and wrought and billowed and eddied with all the shapes of the wind, and seemed itself to be the furnace wound in which the thunder was created. Was this, then, the voice into which the silence had been all the time deepening? Gibby had yet to learn that there is a deeper voice still into which such a silence may grow, and the silence not be broken. He was not dismayed. He had no conscience of wrong, and scarcely knew fear. It was an awful delight that filled him. 
Mount Sinai was not to him a terror. To him there was no wrath in the thunder, any more than in the greeting of the dog that found him in his kennel. Gibby sat calm, awful, but I imagine with a clear forehead and smiling mouth, while the storm roared and beat and flashed and ran about him. It was the very fountain of tempest. From the bare crest of the mountain the water poured down its sides, as if its springs were in the rock itself, and not in the bosom of the cloud above. The tumult at last ceased. Gibby, like an intoxication, he jumped to his feet, and danced and flung his arms about, as if he himself were the storm. But the uproar did not last long. Almost suddenly it was gone, as if like a bird that had been flapping the ground in agony, it had at last recovered itself, and taken to its great wings and flown. The sun shone out clear, and in all the blue abyss not a cloud was to be seen, except far away to leeward, where one was spread like a banner in the lonely air, fleeting away. The ensign of the charging storm, bearing for its device a segment of the many-collared bow. And now that its fierceness was over, the jubilation in the softer voices of the storm became audible, as the soul gives thanks for the sufferings that are overpassed, offering the love and faith and hope which the pain has stung into fresh life. So from the sides of the mountain ascended the noise of the waters the cloud had left behind. The sun had kept on his journey. The storm had been no disaster to him, and now he was a long way down the west, and twilight in her gray cloak would soon be tracking him from them, east like sorrow, dogging delight. Gibby, wet and cold, began to think of the cottage where he had been so kindly received, of the friendly face of his mistress, and her care of the lamb. It was not that he wanted to eat. He did not even imagine more eating. For never in his life had he eaten twice of the same charity in the same day. What he wanted was to find some dry hole in the mountain, and sleep as near the cottage as he could. So he rose and set out, but he lost his way, came upon one precipice after another, down which only a creeping thing could have gone, was repeatedly turned aside by torrents and swampy places, and when the twilight came was still wandering upon the mountain. At length he found, as he thought, the burn, along whose bank he had ascended in the morning, and followed it towards the valley, looking out for the friendly cottage. But the first indication of a boat he saw was the wall of the grounds of the house through whose gate he had looked in the morning. He was then a long way from the cottage, and not far from the farm, and the best thing he could do was to find again the barn where he had slept so well the night before. This was not very difficult, even in the dusky night. He skirted the wall, came to his first guide, found and crossed the valley stream, and descended it until he thought he recognized the slope of clover down which he had run in the morning. He ran up the brae, and there were the solemn cones of the corn ricks between him and the sky. A minute more, and he had crept through the cat hole, and was filling about in the dark barn. Happily, the heap of straw was not yet removed. Gibby shot into it like a mole, and burrowed to the very center. There coiled himself up, and imagined himself lying in the heart of the rock on which he had sat during the storm, and listening to the thunder winds over his head. The fancy enticed the sleep which before was ready enough to come, and he was soon fast asleep. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of Microsoft Story Classic. Thank you.